Where are you guys going? To the fun stuff, I'm sure. It's good. We're all just going to watch and stare as you leave. It's all good. Sorry, Joe, am I putting you on the spot here? It's all good. Um, how are we? We okay? Looking good. Um, I have a teaching planned, obviously, and prepared, but I will just jump on this, what we've been looking at and just kind of focusing on this morning to say that, you know, a lot of this wrestling around community has come from a posture of sorting out things that we say in the church, but often do not do. <laughs> so some of us grew up in environments or maybe we're around environments where like there was always talk about small groups, but then nobody really ever did anything. <laughs> Is this just free therapy for me? Anybody? Um, maybe that wasn't your experience, but a lot of times these buzzwords come off of our lips and one of the things we've wanted to create, and it was interesting through the pandemic, right? Everything got disrupted during the pandemic and you know we had all of these opportunities to kind of work on changing some things even within the life of our own community. And one of the things we kept coming back to is the work of the people needs to be more evident now than ever. Um, you know, we know this, the talking heads on stages are imploding. If you've read any sort of Christian news over the last 24 months or so, it's like everybody. It's everything is imploding around us. And so one of the things we've just been thinking through and really wrestling through is how do we put this in the hands of the people? How do we as a community not just talk about something but actually embody it? And the way that we've done that is said, we're not going to, on the first of the month, gather here. We're going to put it in the hands of the people. And we're going to do this in homes and in communities together. And for some of us, that may be a stretch for some of us, and that's hard, and we get that, totally understand that. But we thought, why not have this rhythm where it actually shows that we're serious about this? So I'm excited about the future of this and hearing little stories and glimpses. And I think, uh, I forget who said it, maybe it was you, Nate, that just talked about just like the anti-consumer posture that this does. That is beautiful. It's not coming, and you know, we need environments like this around teaching, and we need music, and worship, and all, all that we do in this room, but there can be a consumer posture at times. Are you with me? How many of you have gone to church and like rated it like a movie, right? Some of us in this room have had that tension of like, and that was like an eight out of 10, and especially the guy at the Britney Spears mic, it was like five, definitely five out of 10. Um, we are doing everything we can because the kingdom of heaven is coming to earth and I think there's a better vision and posture of how we can look at things than just simply like rating our Christian worship experiences. And so we're trying to live into the tension of that. And I think you're, you're kind of picking that up. It actually ties into the teaching this morning. Before we jump into that though, one thing, next week Community Sunday, as they said, two weeks, we're not in this room. So we have two Sundays off basically in this room. Because many of you know on Thanksgiving, we move our Sunday morning gathering to Friday night and we do a long table together. And so we're doing a big turkey dinner together and it's gonna be fantastic. This year it's at Mark and Chelsea Rodriguez's house in Dorchester. We have a great time smoking some turkeys on site. We're gonna have uh, you bring some food, a great night of just hanging out around the table. There'll be a little area for the kids to play and just hang out. So what we just need though is we need to organize this because it's 
easy to say, come and yes, and nobody signs up. Um, we're, you know, we obviously are preparing for 50 or more people, and so that takes some work in just knowing what you're going to bring. Uh, the church will cover drinks and dessert and all of the other beautiful things that the night will entail. We just need to know what you're bringing and who, who you're bringing so that we can prepare for that. So if you just go... Um, I'm going to give you permission now if you want to. I know you'll probably end up playing Angry Birds, but if you want to go to mypraxis.church slash, help me out, Sonia, long table. There it is. We are very organized around here. You can just tell who's coming, letting us know who's coming. Sound like a plan? Yes. Oh, we got a question in church. Let's go. I see that hand. Yes, come to Jesus. It starts at 6 o'clock. Yeah. Six. Holy cow, questions everywhere. This is amazing. It's... A week Friday, the 6th. <laughs> it's in the app store. This is, I love this church. It's amazing. My security team is going to come and start removing people somewhere. Um, it does tie in, I think, what we're talking about around community, around what we're going to talk about this morning. We are in a series this fall, walking through, it's called Words of Life. We are looking at words in the New Testament that we often assume, we kind of assume or we use them in our language, but oftentimes we forget that there's a bit of chasm in what it meant in its original context and how we use it today. And it has led to all sorts of cultural things in our moment in the church, and we've wanted to slow down a little and just focus in on, is this what that means? You know what I'm saying? Is this... Words that kind of, Christian words that roll off our tongue, do we actually know what they meant in the first century context and what they mean for us today? Now, um, I know we've been through a pandemic and I am not a contagious disease specialist, as you can tell, but I do sense that there is a little bit of a pandemic within the church and it has been brewing for the last 20 to 30 years. And you're not going to find it on any website or any DSM diagnosis, but I would call it individualitis. I see it rampant within kind of the church. And now in the wake of a global pandemic where it pushed us to be home, we fight against the symptoms of individualitis. You know, some of the symptoms are this reality that if, hey, if I just pray a prayer that... I'm going to go to heaven someday when I die. But that posture is kind of on its own, right? I'm going to, I pray to prayer, I'm going to heaven when I die, but how often do I hear this? I don't really like people, right? Um, even deeper, though, than just the conversation around church, because that's a thing and people will have that conversation. I think with individualitis comes a theology, almost like an ideology underneath it that shapes us in our moment, and a lot of the times, it has to do with the Bible. The Bible becomes a self-help book. The Bible becomes a document that is purely constructed to fulfill my every dream. And so people read Jeremiah 29, 11, right? And we read it in the context of our individual selves, right? God has a plan for me and a purpose for me and 
the reality is that that you was actually, we have friends in the South, so we always say y'all, you know what I'm saying? That you was plural, it's a y'all. It's for a, a community of people and we pick and choose these type of things where we kind of make it all about ourselves. And one of the tensions, and actually I'd say one of the symptoms of individualitis that is just all around us is a convincing that in evangelicalism that the biblical narrative and the biblical story is about me. Not us, but it's about my life and my life advancing and me moving forward and God having a plan and purpose for me. How are we doing? Now, there's truth in that. There is some truth in that. We are all individuals in this place, absolutely. But what we come to is the startling reality in the scriptures and with a lot of these New Testament words that they are way more corporate and the you is a y'all instead of individual. We learned this last week that the gospel is not just the plan of salvation. The gospel isn't just pray a prayer to get into heaven when I die. The gospel is this royal announcement as Jesus is king and it marks all of life that the gospel is the story of Jesus. The gospel writers start the gospel by saying the gospel according to because they believe that everything they wrote, Jesus' teachings, his life, his miracles, everything about him, his death, burial, resurrection, everything is the gospel. It's the totality. It's not just you know, the plan of salvation. The plan of salvation is part of it, but the gospel is full and it's corporate, it's cosmic, it brings us and draws us into something that is far deeper than just my individual life. And so we build layers because today we're going to talk about a word that we often use and it's the word, you can see it on the screen, salvation or soteria in Greek. This word is used a lot in the different forms in which it's written and we, I, brothers and sisters, I know I've said like the concept of worship is so important to understand that it's not just singing songs on repeat, that it's this full embodiment. Last week, the gospel, but this week, man, if we don't understand what salvation meant and what it, what it was doing contextually in the first century, we will miss out and it will just be fire insurance. It'll just be Jesus saved me so that I go somewhere else when I die. And that is actually not the heart of salvation. How are we doing? You all right? Okay, so what we want to do, I know the tension of this series is we're not like uh, doing what we normally do where we're unpacking large swaths. Is that the word? Is that a word? Sure. Of scripture. Um, you can open to Ephesians 2 with me, but what we're going to do again is go towards a word or a concept, and it's running throughout the scriptures. Let's talk about salvation, and time is going quick, so I'm going to try and go as quick as I can as well. Let's talk about salvation in the Old Testament. And again, just like with gospel, we talked about the gospel in the Old Testament. For some of us programmed, we're like, salvation in the Old Testament. Isn't salvation a Jesus thing? Well, we know in the story of Israel that there was like a crowning moment for them that talked about God's rescue or salvation, and it is this thing called the Exodus, right? If you, even to this day, if you are an observant Jew, this story of the Exodus, and you know what's interesting? I didn't even, I'm gonna be honest, it's been a busy week. I didn't read the Psalm until I got up and we read it today. <laughs> I'm just gonna be honest with you. But a, a retelling, really, of what we read together this morning was almost, in a sense, a retelling of the Exodus story. 
the community continually went back to this great work of God rescuing the people out from under an oppressive king named Pharaoh. And so they would always go back to this story of God saving and redeeming and rescuing them. This was part of their salvation story. And if we don't miss it, this is type and shadow for us. So we are not, most of us in this room, like Jewish, but one thing that Exodus does for the Christian community, those that follow Jesus, it is type and shadow of what Jesus is doing and has done for his own people. Now I wanted to catch something. The, the rescuing for Israel in the Exodus wasn't always, you know, if you look at their story in the Old Testament, it, it wasn't always from a foe or a hostile nation. One of the things we actually see continually in the life of Israel is they often needed a rescuing from who? Themselves. They needed a rescue from themselves and their own waywardness and their own sinfulness. Now, we don't have time to go over when this word is used a lot in Hebrew, but the point is, is that there is a rescuing idea about the concept of salvation in the Old Testament. Nijay Gupta, he put it like this, and no, this is not the Gupta guy from CNN, the doctor. This is another guy, okay, just to let you know, just in case you're wondering. He says this, to be saved by God was to live in peace with God and harmony with others. In that sense, salvation was not a one-and-done event. It was the beginning of the way life should be. Salvation was something over Israel in the refuge of God. And we read it this morning, Psalm 105, this continued rescuing independence on Yahweh as creator, as sustainer, as their God. And it was something that was continual, that God was savior. And so it's type and shadow. We have this in the scripture for us. It's a type and sh shadow and, and a, a picture that pushes us forward for us now, millennia later, just to, to feel and sense what we enter into when we talk about salvation. Then you get to the Greco-Roman world. And you know, again, just like gospel, and if you weren't here last week, gospel was not a Christian word. It was a political word in the first century in the Greco-Roman Empire. And guess what, friends? Do you think salvation is any different? Salvation was laced in the Roman Empire around all sorts of things, including the Pantheon, was used all the time around the Pantheon. So Zeus was actually called Savior and Liberator. Apollo was invoked the title Savior. And so in the pantheon, these formative gods in the Greco-Roman world were known as savior. Then you get like, in reality, these Caesars. And if you know anything about the Greco-Roman world, Caesar was seen as savior and Lord. Julius Caesar, not the drink, but the Roman Empire, emperor. That was funny, no? Is, is Julius Caesar not still, is that still going? Is it still going? I haven't seen one in a while, so that's news to me. But Julius Caesar was hailed in inscriptions, savior and benefactor. Caesar Augustus, as you know, if you know Augustus' story, and we've talked a, bit, a little bit about this, he was celebrated as savior of the empire. One of the most famous inscriptions about uh, Caesar Augustus was that it said this, he was the savior who will cause war to seize and will order all things. 
And if you know about Augustus, Augustus was actually seen as the son of God in the Roman Empire. Wait a second. Do we have a son of God? Are you seeing the mic drop in, in how the gospel writers are writing about King Jesus in the face of the empire? Are you seeing it? Are you catching it? This is no mistake. And it's the same with this idea of savior. That the Roman Empire had their own saviors. They had their own gods. They had their own things that they were depending on. And now Jesus comes along and totally disrupts this and turns it on its head. Salvation, soteria in the empire, was ultimately viewed as protective one of the images we get is guardianship, the sheltering of the vulnerable, promoting welfare, and, in, and increasing the quality of life. This is what they saw as salvation. Ultimately, in the Roman Empire, it was to protect. Now, we know the story of the Roman Empire, that the way that they did this is how did they do it? Through violence, <laughs> right? They used the sword to bring Pax Romana, to bring the Pax Romana, to bring peace. But what I want you to see and catch in, this, in the room this morning is that salvation to the Greco-Roman Empire, salvation was a communal thing. It wasn't just an individual thing. It wasn't just for individuals. It was for the community. Caesar at play as the son of God bringing peace, but we know he brought peace in a manner that was way different than the kingdom of God. So it frames for us an idea of how the word works. What's interesting is then you get to the New Testament writers and they're taking the framework of the Greco-Roman world and using it now for Jesus and the kingdom of God and salvation. And one of the things we see is that you could get the picture of rescuing from the Old Testament, but as the writers in the New Testament talk about salvation, one of the words that's often interchanged in our English Bibles is this word healing that a lot of the times we see where the word healing is used, even when Jesus heals, right? There's a root word of soteria actually used to kind of help interchange the word. And this is actually really important because it shows that when Jesus brings healing, it's the type of salvation that he is enacting in the world. That Jesus is rescuing, yes, from our sin, from death. And he is bringing healing, not to just us as individuals, yes, as individuals, but Jesus is in the business of renewing and healing all things. This is the type of salvation work we're looking at. It's about kingship. It's about a kingdom giving loyalty to the king. And we'll talk about faith and what this means over the next few weeks. Um, Paul then would use salvation in a few different ways. And we've talked about this before so much so, throw it up, that this is like 2016 Drew Fest font. So do you see the font change? Okay, so we're, we're, we're rewinding the font a little. Some of you that are designers are just horrified right now at this, but that's okay. Just, you'll be okay. Paul, when he uses this word soteria and saved or salvation, would use it in three different ways. Paul would often say, I am saved, right? So it's this this almost like this moment of salvation of the rescue of God coming over life. He would often say, I am being saved. And then other times he would say, I am going to be saved. I will be saved. You will be saved. I am, I'm being, I will be. Now this, brothers and sisters, is something to grab a hold of. Because when we talk about 
kind of past tense, you were saved, Ephesians 2, Paul talks about it. It's talking about this process of justification. We can talk about salvation as a communal thing and still talk about justification. Who would have thought in 2023 there could be a little nuance? Can you shake your head with me and just nod your head with me? I know everything wants to be left and right and fully one way or the other. I know some of you are maybe a little squeamish when we talk about salvation as a communal thing because we're saved by grace through faith. Well, yeah, there's part of that. And part of it is individual. Yes, it is individual. And part of it is a justifying event. I, would, I, I hold to this still in a, a deeper biblical theology. I still hold to the fact that every one of us in this room, Jesus rescuing or healing wants to come over you in a response today if you haven't engaged in that. And the invitation is out. We're just here, not in a stressful or forceful way to do that, but I hold to this in justification. Paul says you were saved by grace through faith. It's more of an event or a moment where there is a yielding and coming under the rescuing cover of Jesus. But you know what is used the most in the scripture? In evangelicalism, we've talked the most about an event. We have to get everybody into an event where there's repentance and faith, and that is the mark and the measure. And that's part of it. But you know what the Bible uses the most and Paul would use the most when he talks about salvation? A process. Actually, if you were to compare these things, much more than talking about salvation in the past tense, Paul would talk it as a present reality, that you and I are being saved every single day, right? Uh, in 1 Corinthians 15, 2, Paul says, you are being saved. You are these new creations. You have been saved, but the focus is on this idea of a process, of following Jesus, of the day-to-day -day process of God's rescuing and healing within our lives. Make sense? If we want to talk about salvation and the emphasis of salvation, it's on the middle one there. It's about a process. And brothers and sisters, you know this. We all know this in this room. We are a process. Can I get an amen? Right? We look back and we look at salvation. Yes, maybe as an event, but more so even as that quote from Gupta where it's this entering into the life of God. Salvation is every day of our lives. And then, of course, Paul would often talk about salvation future tense. He believes that you and I Though we are a process and we are in process, there will be a day, brothers and sisters, when you and I will be saved. Thank you. Somebody else feeling it this morning, right? Seriously. And so there has been so much focus on, man, the event. We need the event. We need to get everybody, we need to get everybody in. We need to get everybody in. And I, I, I understand that. Justification is a thing but we give very little influence or our understanding to the reality that heaven is coming to earth and brothers and sisters, we will be saved. The gong show of a life that Drew Fest lives at times, someday I will stand before God and there will be a complete renewing. Heaven and earth coming back together, me with a, and I'm just talking my story, all of us with our resurrected bodies living in this world forever you will be saved. This is what salvation is. Think of it like this. Um, on, I gotta get, and I've used this before, I gotta get these dates right, but on June 30th, 2007, in an instant, I became a husband. 
I stood um, under a gazebo in Kamlaki, Ontario. Heather came down. She was beautiful. I was sweating under my arms. Some of you were there. Even to the point where she came down, I was like, is this girl really going to marry me? And in that moment, through vows, I became a husband. Did I know anything of what it was like to be a husband? Heck no, right? I had to live in to who I had become. And this is kind of how we kind of see it as in, in uh, salvation. We are, and then we are in this process of becoming who we've become. You follow me? July 30th, 2008, this little beaming-eyed human being came into my arms for the first time, Ava Fess. And I held her for the first time. I looked, I have a picture. I looked like I was 13 years old. It's, ter- it's terrible. <laughs> I had... Just to show you the time, I was in a pink polo with the collar popped up. That's like, come on. Why did we do that? Terrible. It's terrible. Held this little one in my arms. Did I know what it was like to be a father at all? I, I, you know, I went to the prenatal classes. (laughs) I read some books. Did I know what it was like to be a dad? No clue. But in that moment, I was a father. And I had to live in and live worthy of that that calling that was on my life. This can help us frame the idea of salvation. It is communal, it is big, and we are these people that are saved if you follow Jesus, but you are continually, continually being saved. Think of it like this, when it connects to the kingdom. Some of you like history, you know the difference between D-Day and V-E Day. This is a really beautiful picture of the kingdom of God. So my grandfather on June 6, 1944, was uh, involved in the Normandy landing. Many of you know this, where the troops descended on Normandy, and that was essentially the battle that defeated Germany in that moment, D-Day. But many of you know it wasn't until almost a year later that ultimate victory came on VE Day, May 8, 1945, where there was unconditional surrender. I love that vision because it shows us God is at work in the moment. There's all sorts of brokenness around us. God has saved, but God will, Jesus will save. There will be a day where enough is enough and the powers and principalities and the Satan, God through his son Jesus has had enough and will bring a complete victory. And so Jesus reigns and saves now and he will save. Thank you. Instead of the gospel you know, saying that we kind of get the heck out of here, what it does is it actually proclaims that through, through salvation, God's kingdom is coming here. It's coming now, and it's in the end coming. I don't know if you know this, there are actually eight gospel sermons in the book of Acts. There's eight distinct gospel sermons in the book of Acts. Guess how many mention the afterlife, heaven and hell? Zippo, zero. You're like, this guy has been talking a lot about like it's, it's not just about the after, afterlife and how these kind of concepts and ideas fit. I think the gospel writers, I think the, the people recorded in the book of Acts had the more type of vision of what we're going after. Yes, personnel salvation is important. Yes, the plan of salvation is important. But we are so motivated by things that the early writers and the early church just was not. Salvation was communal. It was something cosmic that God was doing, and all of us in this room have the ability to be saved, being saved, and will live in the anticipation of King Jesus coming where we will be saved. To close, before we come to the tables, 
it does still mean that as God's salvation breaks into the world, obviously through the event of death, burial, and resurrection, but even today as we're confronted with this, there is still human responsibility. There is a call towards repentance. See, I think you can hold this idea. I know a lot of people in the wrestling around salvation will just say, okay, it's cosmic, it's communal, it's not individual. I still believe in my bones that Jesus is extending an arm to us. He is inviting us into life with him. And it is, there is human responsibility to, to repent, to turn of our lives. Craig Keener puts it like this, and I'm sure he's just a keener. He says this, the human responsibility to repent, to turn around, change, know well, is not urged so that the kingdom will come, but explicitly because the kingdom is coming whether we turn or not. That is to say, we do not bring the kingdom by our turning, we suffer the kingdom's coming, either blessedly by going to our knees or banefully by turning our backs. In quotes, here comes God's new world, turn around and face it. And I think some of us, when we talk about salvation and this idea of God's healing, we just, I love this picture because I think it fits right into God's invitation. We don't stiff arm people. We don't coerce people into the, the reign or the healing of God. But what we do say is, guys, it's coming. You know what I'm saying? Like this, whether, whether we like it or not, whether we go kicking and screaming, God's kingdom is coming to earth as it is in heaven. And this confronts us all, right? Because it confronts us in a way that says we turn now, that salvation isn't just something in the future. We lean and we, we come under it. We come under and into that healing now. And for, you know, we look at the world around us, the world, you know I don't do a lot of us and them, right, in the teaching, but the world is kicking and screaming and God's goodness and his justice and his righteousness is coming through Jesus and what Jesus is bringing in his kingdom. And... It can be baneful and painful and we can kick and scream to the end or we can come under this salvation and this healing right now enacted in the church. And I just want to encourage us this morning that there is an element of repentance. There is a, a turning, a trust, a, a turning of our lives and this is part of the process of God bringing his healing over us. He rescued us He's rescuing us every day, and he will rescue us. And so we push against, again, the reality of this just kind of being like an individual thing where I, I do my individual deal. God is saving us as a community. That's why in a moment, we're going to stand to our feet, going to walk this aisle, this beautiful aisle that people have created this morning for us. And we're gonna walk the aisle or out to, you know, walk together as a community. And I know it's prepackaged, I get it. We're still wrestling through this post-COVID stuff. But we, we walk the aisle and we grab the bread and cup as a reminder of God's work for us, for all of us in this room. That the bread and the cup is, is a sign. And next week as you get in communities and you eat around a table, these are signs 
of God's saving and rescuing work. Just as Israel would get together in an elaborate meal every single year, every element, a, a Seder meal, every element of that meal kind of pushing to the reality of God as rescuer, we walk down the aisle this morning to this bread and cup as a reminder of its rescuing and saving through King Jesus. So I don't know where you're at. Beautiful thing in this room, I don't, I don't know where everybody's at. But I know for me, this word, when we get it right, just like gospel, just like worship, it does something in us. My prayer for us is just walk that aisle with us this morning in the reality of what God has done for us. You with me?